Last Sunday, we introduced the subject of repentance. We don't hear much about repentance anymore. But repentance is a very important part of God's message to the fallen human race. In fact, last week, we looked at part one of a message entitled True Repentance. Today, we look at part two. And I've got a question for you. Do Christians need to repent? Do Christians need to repent? Now, to repent refers to a change of mind that leads to a change of life. But wait a minute. If we're saved and if all of our sins are forgiven, why do we have to repent as believers? You see, you've got to understand that when we sin as believers, it gums up our spiritual arteries. It, 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 pre- it presents us with a, a distance from God. Our fellowship with God is hampered when we sin and we don't confess and forsake that sin. Now, when we do repent as believers... It leads to fellowship with God and to a treasure trove of spiritual blessings that he makes available to us. But unfortunately, the biblical emphasis on repentance is being ignored by believers and unbelievers alike in our world today. In 2023, a national survey reported that 68% of American adults claimed to be Christian but only 50% acknowledge their sins and ask God's forgiveness at least once a week. That means that almost 20% of self-identified Christians do not repent at least once a week. And combine that with another 30% of the country that never prays at all, and it looks like America has forgotten how to repent. Well, today, I want to remind you, during the Reformation, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door at Wittenberg. The very first theses on his list was this, I quote, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Repentance was essential for Israel, God's covenant people. In Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 10 through 11, the Bible says, Now as for you, son of man, God speaking to Ezekiel the prophet, say to the house of Israel, Thus you have spoken, saying, Surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we are rotting away in them. How then can we survive? Verse 11, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die, O house of Israel? When God said turn back, that is the Old Testament word for repentance. Now, repentance 
was not only necessary for God's covenant people Israel, repentance is also necessary for God's new covenant people, the church. In Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, Jesus sent a letter, a message to the church at Ephesus. He said, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen, repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. You know, when you study Revelation chapter 2 and 3, you find that five out of the seven churches received a message from the master, the Lord Jesus, that they needed to repent. So it's very important that believers repent. A failure to repent is a form of idolatry. It is an elevation of our own desires and our own wishes above God's will and God's glory. Some of you in this room right now, some of you watching live stream, you know that you need to make a change in your life and you know exactly what that change is because the Holy Spirit of God has been wearing you out with conviction. And today would be a great day for you to repent, for you to get right with God, for you to to have a spiritual cleansing of your gummed up spiritual arteries, for you to draw close to God in fellowship once again. Here's the truth I, I reminded you of last week, and I want to remind you again. Transformation requires true repentance. There is no legitimate spiritual change in anyone's life without true repentance. Now, as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, I want to finish what I started last week. You see, the church at Corinth was carnal to the core. In fact, they even tolerated an incestuous relationship within the body of Christ there. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, hear the words of the Apostle Paul. He said, it is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. Now, that was a huge issue in the church, and it was the very heart of their carnality. And Paul dealt with them very strongly in a letter that's not in the Bible, a letter of correction and rebuke that he sent to them. Now understand this, when it comes to real change, real genuine change, everything hinges on the word repent. This morning, I will remind you of two things that we talked about last week, and then I'm going to add something brand new. Number one, as a way of review, the profile of repentance. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9, 
Paul wrote, I now rejoice not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. You you see, repentance is a recurring theme in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 24, verses 46 and 47, the resurrected Christ said this, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Acts 3.19, the Bible says, Therefore repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. We're in a a time in our church of 40 days of fasting and prayer as we seek revival, genuine heaven-sent revival, times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord as we sprint toward the celebration of our 150th anniversary as a church. Oh, look, true repentance involves a recognition that sin is offensive to God. You know, we see sin everywhere. Therefore, we see sin nowhere. And that is a dangerous place to be. I want to remind you of the words of the prophet Habakkuk. In verse 13 of chapter 1, Habakkuk said, Your eyes, God, your eyes are too pure to approve evil. And you cannot look on wickedness with favor. I want you to understand, friend, that our sin as members of the body of Christ is absolutely repulsive to a holy and righteous God. Now, we may slough it off and we may say, well, I'm not as bad as this person. I'm not as bad as this person. But I want you to know that you won't stand before this person or that person. You will stand before a holy and righteous God one day at the Bema Seat Judgment. And I would encourage you, I would encourage you to think long, hard, and deep about what the Spirit of God is saying to you this morning about parts of your life that needs to change, areas of your life where you need genuine, true repentance. Now, secondly, last week, we talked not only about the profile of repentance, but the process of repentance. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9 and 10, let me read this to you. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Now, last week, we talked about the fact that there, in this process of repentance, there are four aspects. Number one, there is conviction. Let me make this very clear. It's not my job to convict anybody of their sin. I can't. It's not a daddy or a mama's job to convict 
They're children of sin. And it's not a child's job to convict mom or dad of sin. The only person that convict, can convict a person of sin is the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. Jesus said in John 16, 7 through 8, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. <clears throat> For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now listen to verse 8. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin righteousness, and judgment. Now, let me tell you, let me, let me just differentiate, differentiate something for you. The devil does not convict people of sin. The devil accuses believers of being pathetic, of being a pathetic excuse for a believer. The devil accuses a believer of being a hypocrite. But the devil never zeroes in specifically. He only accuses with generalities. He never zeroes in on a particular thing that needs to be dealt with. But the Holy Spirit is different. The Holy Spirit comes to a believer and the Holy Spirit shines a spotlight on one area of your life that needs to change. It could be an attitude. It could be an action. <clears throat> but he, he does not deal in generalities. You see, the Holy Spirit loves you. And the Father loves you. And the Lord Jesus died for your sins. And I'll tell you, the Holy Spirit wants to correct you so that you can experience the abundant life of Christ. He promised you as a believer abundant life. And if we do not deal with sin in our lives as believers, if we do not repent of our sin as believers, then we are jeopardizing the, the wonderful blessings of abundant life. <clears throat> now, the second aspect of true repentance is contrition or godly sorrow. Paul made clear here in verse 10 that there is a godly sorrow that leads to life and salvation, and there is a worldly sorrow that leads to death. And it's amazing the excuses that people put up to God or put up to their friends or, or, or their, their fellow believers when they're dealing with out, out of this worldly sorrow over sin in their lives. They say, well, I'm sorry I got caught. Or they say, it's not my fault. Or they say, you just don't understand my situation. Or they say, get off my back. Or they say, why are you judging me? Who do you think you are? You see, godly sorrow eliminates excuses and motivates a sinner, a sinning believer, to repent and to live a life that reflects the will of God. Contrition. So let me ask you today, are you dealing with worldly sorrow or are you dealing with godly sorrow? Oh, listen, if the Holy Spirit is zeroing in on a particular part of your life that needs to change, today would be a wonderful day for you to repent, for you to confess it to God and quit it and have victory. 
And then the third part of of the process of repentance is confession. The biblical word for confession simply means to agree with God. You see, when the Holy Spirit zeroes in on that particular attitude or action in your life, that's not the time for you to argue with God and say, well, that's not so bad. That's a time for you to feel contrition or, 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 or godly sorrow. That's a time for you to agree with God. And it's a time for you to say, well, God, you're exactly right. I shouldn't think like that. I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't have this attitude that I have. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, 13, he who conceals his, 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 uh, Transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Dick Eastman wrote, and I quote, Confession is a heartfelt recognition of what we are. It is important to God because it indicates that we take, <clears throat> take seriously our mistakes and failures. Of course, listen to this part. Of course, God does not ask us to confess our sin because he needs to know we have sinned. He knows everything. But he asks us to confess our sins because he knows that we need to know that we have sinned. Boy, that's so important. Confession of sin is such an important part of us getting right with God, of us experiencing the abundant life of Christ. You see, true repentance involves conviction, Contrition, confession, and finally, the fourth aspect is change. Legitimate change. Consider the thief on the cross. Do you remember that story? Jesus is being crucified, the Son of God. And on one side is a thief, on the other side is a thief. And according to Matthew's gospel in Matthew 27, he says that both thieves were railing against Jesus. Both thieves were insulting Jesus and saying something like this. Look, if you're really the son of God, come down and save yourself and save us. But Luke's gospel fills in the blanks for us. In Luke chapter 23, verses 39 to 43, he writes, and I read for you, one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God since you were under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you today, you shall be with me in paradise. That's a perfect example of a lost person, an unsaved person, repenting of their sin and placing their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are so many examples of, of that in the Bible. There's the woman at the, at the well there in Sychar in, in Samaria. There's Zacchaeus. There's Zacchaeus. Boy, what a story of repentance and salvation. 
I, I tell you, if you're in this room today and you've never repented of your sin, you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, I don't care how much of a train wreck your life might be, I tell you on the authority of the inerrant, inspired, infallible Word of the living God that God can save you and God wants to save you. He wants to bring you to repentance and to faith in His Son just like He did with the thief on the cross. Today would be a great day for you to turn to God in brokenhearted repentance and saving faith and trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Transformation requires true repentance. Okay, we've seen the profile of repentance and the process of repentance. Let's look thirdly, and this is brand new today, the product of repentance. I want you to see that the proof of true repentance is marked by a definitive change in the way we think and the way we live. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 11, we didn't get to this verse last week. I want, I want to read it for you. For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you. What vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong in everything you demonstrate to yourself to be innocent in this matter. Now remember, don't forget the problem. Don't forget that big black problem of sin in the lives of these believers of not even mourning over the fact that there's a member of the church who is committing incest with his mother or his stepmother. And there's a change in these believers' lives as evidenced by verse 11. In verse 11, there are seven characteristics of purity produced by true repentance. And each of these characteristics are introduced by the word what? Count them in your Bible. Or in the New American Standards, the word what is used seven times. What earnestness. Now, the word earnestness refers to a movement of godly sorrow in the lives of these believers that rids them of complacency and apathy, and now they had a passion to live in obedience. It's a picture of commitment and dedication to Christ. There's been a change in these believers' lives. And then he says, what vindication. The, the Greek word here is apologia. And it literally means a speech in defense. The Corinthians had a strong desire to clear their name, to remove the stigma of their sin, and to rid themselves of their guilt and to prove themselves trustworthy. And then he mentions what indignation. Indignation carries the idea of physical pain. Their failure their failure to deal with the, 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 the terrible sin in the body of Christ there broke their hearts and produced a righteous indignation concerning sin. Now they hated the sin that they formerly cherished. Change, victory, transformation. And, and then the next one is what fear now, Paul uses the word fear five times in this epistle, five times. 
But I want to show you how you use the word in chapter 5, verse 11 of 2 Corinthians, and chapter 7, verse 1. Look at it with me. Chapter 5, verse 11 of 2 Corinthians. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. Look at chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness. Now, don't miss these last words. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. What is this fear of God? Well, it's not fear like fear of a thunderstorm or or, or fear of a, a spider or, or a mouse. I, I read where Deion Sanders, the, the head football coach at, at Colorado, had a little visitor in his office, and it was a little mouse, and he was scared to death of that little mouse. That's not the kind of fear we're talking about here. He's talking about the fear of the Lord, a reverence and an awe for God. Oh, listen. We shake our fist at the world because the world seems to have no fear of God. But we need to look inside the church. I ask you a question. Where is the fear of God inside the church? Where's the fear of God in your life? When we watch things that we shouldn't watch and we say things we shouldn't say and we do things we shouldn't do and it doesn't even tweak our consciences. Where's the fear of God in our lives? But I'll tell you, these Corinthian believers were confronted by the spirit of the living God. And they were blessed by the fear of the Lord and awesome reverence for God developed in their lives. And then the next one, what longing? True repentance produced a passionate desire to please the Lord in their lives and to be a blessing to Paul instead of being a, Uh, a a curse to him the way they were with their attitude and their actions. And then what zeal these revived believers experienced a renewed desire to know the Lord, to serve the Lord, and to please the Lord. And what avenging of wrong. Truly repentant people have a strong desire to see justice done and to make restitution for the wrongs they have committed. I'll give you a perfect example. Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19 is a perfect example. Instead of protecting themselves, they accept the consequences of their sins. And that's so important for us to understand today. You say, I want you to remember this. Transformation requires true repentance. I have no doubt that there are some within the sound of my voice today who are experiencing the Holy Spirit's relentless conviction of sin in their lives. And the Holy Spirit has been zeroing in on a particular attitude, an action, a belief, or whatever in your life for some time. And the Holy Spirit convicts you And yet you are letting it absolutely go in one ear and out the other ear. You're not dealing with what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. And that is a dangerous place to be. 
Because when God convicts you and you don't respond in repentance, your heart gets just a little harder and a little harder and a little harder. I wish I had time to go over. Well, let's just take the time. Can I do that? Revelation chapter 9. Go over there just a minute. I read this verse, and it just blew my mind. In a time when, when God is unleashing the judgments of God on a, on a world that has rejected Christ and rejected God, and the judgments are absolutely beyond anything you could ever think, dream, or imagine. I want you to look at verses 20 and 21 of Revelation chapter 9. Look at it. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and of silver and of brass, of stone, of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders nor of their sorceries nor of their immorality nor of their thefts. Even with the judgment of God bearing down upon their lives, bearing down upon the world of that day, they refuse to repent. Oh, I pray that's not you. I pray today that you would listen to the Holy Spirit and you will know that the reason he's convicting you of your sin is because he loves you and he wants the best for you. I want to tell you something. God can change you. I, I don't care how long you've been in this state of rebellion against God. I don't care how deep and how dark that spiritual thing in your life is, that, 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 that habit is in your life. I'm telling you that God has the power to change your life, to destroy the strongholds that the enemy has built in your life. Amen. Nothing is impossible with God. Now, there is repentance that leads to revival for believers. We've, we've established that. And you, somewhere, you, you started well, but somewhere along the way, you began to, to drift away from God. You sacrificed the spiritual disciplines of praying and reading your Bible to enjoy the things of this world. And it has affected you spiritually. And now there's a distance between you and God that was not there when you were first saved. I can tell you that God wants to revive you. He wants to renew you. He wants to refresh you with his presence. But you've got to repent. I had a man come out last week. And he said, Pastor, God's dealing with me about a particular issue in my life. And he said, I've got to deal with it. That's what you've got to do. Hey, this altar is going to be wide open in just a moment. We're going to stand up. We're going to worship the Lord. And I want to encourage you, if you feel led to, you come to this altar and you bow the knee to King Jesus and you ask him to place you under godly sorrow that would lead to genuine repentance and victory and a treasure trove of spiritual blessings in your life. You say, Pastor, I, I just can't go down there in front and do it. Well, do it at your seat. Just do it right where you're standing. 
Now, look, there may be somebody that you know that's going through a difficult time in their lives and they need to repent. You may need to come to the altar and pray for them. I would encourage you to do that. But there's not only a repentance that leads to revival for believers, but there's repentance that leads to redemption for unbelievers. The Samaritan woman, the thief on the cross, Zacchaeus, all experienced godly sorrow that led to true repentance and to faith in the Lord Jesus. And God wants to save you today. He does not want you to perish in his judgment. He wants to save you and change your life. That's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. That's why Jesus shed his blood so that you can be forgiven. You can only be forgiven, not by your works, but you can only be forgiven because Jesus died on the cross for your sins and paid the penalty for you with his own blood and body. Come to Christ today. In saving faith and repentance, come to Christ today. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. I'm going to ask our staff to come. And and as they're coming, I want to remind you uh, of an important point. Repentance. The Bible commands it. Our wickedness demands it. Justice requires it. Christ preached it. And God expects it. He expects that out of our lives. Now, what will you do with that today? Oh, I hope and pray that you are listening to the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. And I hope and pray that you're ready to do exactly what the Spirit of God leads you to do. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for our time in the Word this morning. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that that in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, you clarified for us the meaning of this term repentance. We thank you, Lord, that you don't desire any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. We thank you, Lord, that you expect every believer to walk with you and to walk in victory, to have abundant life. And I praise you, Lord, that if a believer wants to get right with you and confess and forsake their sin, you will restore and renew their spiritual life. Lord, have your way today. Glorify yourself in our midst, in our hearts. In Jesus' name.